1: You're listening to Quick to Listen, the Christianity Today podcast, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes and set aside time to explore the reality behind a major cultural event or conversation. I'm Caitlin Beatty, the print managing editor of Christianity Today, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Morgan Lee. Hey, Morgan. You're back, Caitlin. (laughs) Uh, Kind of. The jet lag would tell me that I'm still kind of in Indonesia, but yes, physically I'm back.
2: Well, it's good to have you here. It's been almost a month. Yeah, so, it's been a while. Welcome back from
1: Indonesia and traveling and Bali, right? Did you yeah, that? yeah. I live a hard life. Um, and I was really sad to see that things like didn't fall apart while I was gone here. That's the ultimate way, you know, you would have been missed, I guess. But, but I also saw that you all had some really good episodes, including an episode with an Olympian.
2: Wasn't that cool?
1: Yeah. yeah. And, like friend of Michael Phelps. Very cool. Okay, so Caitlin, we have
2: some pretty cool guests on here. Our first guest is someone who has been on the show before. It's Alyssa Wilkinson. She is Christianity's chief film critic and she's also an assistant professor of English and Humanities at the King's College in New York City. Hey Alyssa, how are you?
3: I'm good. How are you guys?
2: You also write for a bunch of other publications. Do you want to tell us what those are?
3: Oh, it depends on the week. Uh, You know, RogerEbert.com, Rolling Stone, Vulture, uh, whoever will have me.
1: Well, thank you for writing for us and producing such excellent film coverage for CT.
2: Our other guest is Akemeni Uwan, and she recently graduated from Div School. She went to Westminster Theological Seminary in Philly. She's also the 2015 Green Prize in Apologetics Award recipient. Akemeni, hey, how are you?
4: hey good to be here
2: so you also used to have a film blog too tell us a little bit about that
4: i did it was called uh the chocolate review with uh, my good girlfriend crystal rose back when i was living in la we just we both you know love film and we were like this is back in 2010 2011 and i didn't know of any you know black women who were actually looking at film and giving our own per- unique perspective on film and so we were like well why don't we just start you know, doing this. And we did it for fun. And we started to go to press junkets and interviewing like various celebrities at like the Beverly Hills Hotel. And it was starting to really ramp up.
1: But then you went to seminary?
4: (laughs) Yeah. Plot twist. Yeah, exactly. My whole life is a plot twist. And so I moved to Philadelphia for uh, seminary. And that was that.
1: Thanks so much for being on. So, as our regular listeners know, we always try to take a controversial event or story in the news and go beyond the controversy and set aside time to get to a deeper and more complex and truer and robust understanding of the story. This story is maybe the most complicated one that we have covered on the podcast. At least it feels that way in the moment. So Nate Parker is an actor and director as well as an outspoken Christian, and he is the creator of the upcoming film, The Birth of a Nation. It chronicles the the real-life slave rebellion led by Nat Turner in 19th century Virginia. The film premiered at Sundance this year in early 2016. It's slated to be theatrically released in the U.S. on October 7th, and it's already generated a lot of Oscar buzz, especially given last year's controversies about the racial homogeneity of Oscar-nominated directors and actors. Here's where it gets tricky. So in the past two weeks, both Parker and his movie have gotten a lot of attention after Variety magazine reported that the woman who had accused Parker and his college roommate of raping her back in 1999 while they were all students at Penn State had committed suicide a few years ago. So that kind of that story resurfaced these accusations made against Parker and his roommate parker was arrested and went to trial in 2001 he was acquitted of the charges recently he's maintained that what happened was consensual Um, his roommate was convicted um, but the conviction was later overturned on appeal after the woman who had brought forth the accusations declined to testify for a retrial his roommate as it would happen is also working on this film alongside nate parker in the past two weeks, we've seen reactions online, on social media, many people saying that they will not support the film. Recently, just this week, the American Film Institute announced that it was going to cancel a screening and a Q&A with Parker because of the public's reaction. Obviously, there are a lot of layers here, um, how the public should respond to these allegations since Parker was acquitted. We also have the reality of campus cultures that are harmful to women and a culture that still doesn't instinctively believe women when they come forth with accusations of rape. We also have strong cultural stereotypes and narratives about Black men. And then we also have whether the film will be tainted by the rape trial and the allegations come Oscar season and how they will affect uh, the Birth of a Nation's viewing and reviews in the months to come. So There's a lot here. (laughs) Before we get into the complexity, our regular listeners know this, that this podcast is made possible by subscribers of CT Magazine's. Our magazine is a place where we uh, offer redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. Subscribers get 10 award-winning print issues, tablet and PDF editions of each issue, full web access to ChristianityToday.com, online archives dating back to 1956, and if you are a quick-to-listen listener... You can get a year long subscription to our magazine for our lowest rate available, which is $10. And you can do that by heading over to orderct.com slash quick to listen. So that's orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, let's get into the gut check. Morgan, you were probably following the story more closely than I was since I was out of the country and not really checking, you know, news headlines. But what was your kind of gut reaction to the Variety report and Nate Parker's response on Facebook and kind of the fallout? This is really disappointing.
2: The fact that I had just read our own interview that Ellison conducted where he um really talked about how his faith motivated him given him perspective on this film about Nat Turner. Um which has this very strong and fascinating anti-slavery rebellion, you know, that took place in the 19th century. I thought it would like the interview was like really powerful. And then Mm -hmm. I really didn't know anything about these sexual assault allegations until later in the week. And so I was like, whoa, you know, there's something about whatever message that he's going to be trying to do. There's something in his life that's going to that's going to speak a lot louder, even though he was acquitted in a court of law. That's how I still felt. Why were there actions in the past? You know, why would he put himself in this place to have had to have this be a story
1: so my my gut reaction was similar in that i when when stories of rape accusations come forth in the public light, my instinct is to want to believe the woman's account because we the reality is we do live in a culture that either excuses men's behavior doesn't take violence against women seriously enough. Oftentimes, the woman has nothing to gain by coming forward with accusations. And yet with this particular story and reading Nate Parker's own response to news of her suicide, which apparently he didn't know about until the Variety Report, I really wanted to believe him. And I think I really wanted to believe him. Well, I think I primarily wanted to believe him because he's a Christian, that that compelled me to want to give him the benefit of the doubt in a way that I have never felt a similar response to other public figures who have been accused of horrible things. So, Alyssa and Akemeni, what are we missing in our gut checks? So, uh, obviously, I I did that
3: interview. I talked to Nate a week before the story broke. And, I I mean, this is so tricky because i i heard him i mean i talked to him we we conversed about his faith and and about how that motivated the film and i was there at the premiere i mean it was a it was a moving experience and i've spent the last eight months telling people how important i think this film is going to be um and so obviously it's very disappointing for me but i think you know i certainly believe that his faith is sincere and i believe that people change and mature and grow in their faith and you know, that they look back often on things they did um, when they're younger with horror. But I'm also really disappointed by his response to it, most largely because uh, the movie really is about institutionalized racism and institutionalized depression, and in particular, how the Bible was used at times to oppress people. And it is perhaps just really telling about our culture that that same awareness that that kind of um, thing can exist in our universities and also in the way that we talk about things like sexual assault, that that kind of injustice exists in those institutions as well. And um, that just hasn't really come up in the things he said about this since then. Um, And I find that really disappointing. I don't know that I blame Nate specifically for that. I think that this is a much larger issue in the church to be sure and in the in the broader culture but there's there's a sense in which Christians ought to be held to a standard of of even less um, maybe instinct towards self-preservation and more towards compassion and I just uh, it's it's a little, it's frustrating, but it's also kind of instructive in the ways that we are blind maybe to our own privilege that we have or to um, to the ways that injustice is embedded in structures that we've benefited from. And of course, this is all very much in people's minds because of like the Brock Turner case and these other cases where, um, you know, young men are sort of seen as having slipped up. Uh, instead of having maybe committed some kind of act of violence against another woman. Um, and, you know, and I don't know, I don't know the specifics of the case beyond what was in the court transcripts um, and the transcripts of phone calls, but they're pretty damning. It's
1: not, it's not good. What about you, Akemeni?
4: Yeah, um, as we said before, there there are many layers uh, to this this story, this unfortunate story. And um, so I, of course, want to speak carefully you know, uh, but truthfully, and I, what I think is important to understand is that when it comes to rape. Um, cases mm-hmm. and trials, uh, you, you mentioned how you, you side with the victim, and that also is my natural inclination. And I think it's important for the, the listeners to understand that only about estimated 2 to 10% are falsely reporting mm-hmm. rapes, okay? And that's a very low number, actually. Um, and when you think about the shame and the pain, the re-traumatization that comes along with going forth, pressing charges, going through the trial, and the repercussions of that. You can see why that number would be so low. And I think in this incident, there's so much that's, that comes with it. Um, Even the fact that uh, Jean, I think, I believe his name is pronounced Jean Celestine was of course mm-hmm. um, found guilty. Uh, Nate Parker, in my view, it seems like he got off on a technicality because he and the victim actually had consensual oral sex the day before. And so that somewhat muddied it in the, in the eyes of the jury, they weren't able to discern whether this was actual consent or not. So I think that's an important aspect there. I think that uh, the fact that they were both wrestlers at Penn State is another valid point that needs to be measured as well. Uh, colleges, Penn State is notorious for this for trying to gather around you know their athletes protect them at all costs protect their own selves as well they were also on a scholarship I think that's important to note and then you have the racial component the victim is white Nate Parker is black I'm assuming John Celestine is black as well so there's a history here you know so I'm thinking well we know that oftentimes there's these stereotypes of black black men who are enslaved to their passions and how they sully the virtuous innocent white woman so that's an important aspect that I always take in consideration you know when I hear about these cases whenever they come up and and what com- came to mind was the uh, Scottsboro boys trial uh, back in 1931 in Alabama a group of nine black men oh, I'm sorry black boys I should say um, were illegally riding a train looking for work at that time and they were apprehended by the sheriffs on some minor charges and the sheriff saw that there were two white women in the same train car and so they uh, forced or coerced these women to say that they were raped by these boys. And these boys were uh, sentenced. Eight of them were sentenced to death. One was sentenced to life and imprisonment. And the youngest one was the one that was sentenced to life imprisonment. prison. Later on, the, uh, the, this, this one of the women actually recanted and told the truth about how she was coerced into you know, giving a false testimony. And so I say all that to say, there's a history, there's a context here. And so I'm coming in. You know, as a black woman trying to weigh this, you know, and like what's real, what's not, you know, but looking at the court trials and the the testimonies, looking at the phone transcripts and also reading Nate's statement. You see, now that's what is what that's what gave me some pause
1: from the from the actual court trial.
4: Yeah, Well, this one is actually from the Variety uh, interview. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, when they brought it up, and, and this is what he said. Um, His initial statement, I think this is what really started to get people, you know, uh, to be concerned more so. And what he said was, 17 years ago, I experienced a painful moment in my life. It resulted in it being litigated. I was cleared of it. That's that. 17 years later, I'm a filmmaker, I have a family, I have five beautiful daughters, I have a lovely wife, I get it. The reality is I can't relive 17 years ago. All I can do is be the best man I can be now. Okay. And so a lot of people were like, whoa, this is all about me, 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 me. (laughs) Like, All I hear are eyes, eyes, eyes. You're trying to, you know, um, clear yourself of these charges. What about this victim who now has committed suicide? Just what's happened? Where's the, where's the empathy? Where's the care? Why is the victim getting lost in all of this? And so then Nate Parker, he came back and wrote a a Facebook statement, a very extensive one, he actually admits that there was a lack of empathy um, that was displayed. And this is what he says. He says, I see now that I may not have shown enough empathy, even as I fought to clear my name, empathy for the young woman and empathy for the seriousness of the situation I put myself and others in, you know, so even he admits that I did, I messed up and I slipped there, but he is adamant about clearing his name and and and, from a human standpoint, I can understand that He also said that he's, you know married his daughters and whatnot. And so, I guess, as a Christian, I'm looking to see, well, what where is the fruit that's in keeping with repentance here? You know, what what are you advocating? what what's going on? So I think anyways, I said, there's so many things, there.
1: yeah, definitely. So one of the interesting things that I found about Nate Parker's long, Facebook statement, and I'll just read directly from it. He says, um, I cannot, nor do I want to ignore the pain she, being the woman, endured during and following our trial. While I might maintain my innocence that the encounter was unambiguously consensual, there are things more important than the law. There is morality. No one who calls himself a man of faith should even be in that situation. As a 36-year-old father of daughters and person of faith, I look back on that time as a teenager and can say without hesitation that I should have used more wisdom. And I think what's really interesting about that statement that strikes me as new, I haven't heard admissions like this from other public figures who have been accused of sexual assault or rape, is that Nate Parker is recognizing that there's only so much that a court of law can do in terms of justice and and legislating morality. So it's as if he's saying that even though I was acquitted, there was something happening there that should not have been happening. And I'm wondering how we take statements like that and then read an artist's art. Like, how much should an artist's personal behavior, personal decisions, even if they were... 17 years ago, and this person has been acquitted in a court of law, or they've sought forgiveness, doesn't matter the artist's personal behaviors and decision making when we come to receive their art and engage it.
3: Yeah. And this is a pretty live question for this movie, because there is a scene of, of rape in yeah. the movie. Um, it's a very different situation of course it's in many ways it's a, it's a slave being raped by a by a white man but in some ways the difficulty i keep coming back around to and i i still would encourage people to see the movie because this is an important story and there's hundreds of other people who worked on it who also sort of poured themselves into it but i think that we have to be having a cultural conversation and a conversation in the church about the fact that there are some I mean, Nate's own admission, which he's correct, that there's more than the court of law, but he's essentially saying, I kind of got off of some charge because that's how the courts work but there's more than that really I, I what I so badly wish he would said is something like I benefited from an unjust system that I didn't even realize until now and this is even what I I didn't even realize this and I, this is my movie and then some way to think about how can I make how, I can't fix this she's she's dead but what can, what can we do about this situation now to try and bring justice to the situation which you know justice isn't always doesn't always feel fair but it's something. Um, So for instance, I would have loved to have seen some talk of donating proceeds from the film to an organization that that works against campus rape situations or things like this. Really, this is, again, even if this is a situation of total repentance and turning around, this is still, you know, individual heart change doesn't mean that the system changes and we need to be working towards system change. And that is the message if there is a message of this film.
1: So that, yeah, that even if Nate Parker didn't commit rape, or e- even if he did commit rape and is now deeply repentant, and he is a truly changed man, there's there's a difference between an individual heart change and a systemic right. change. And if you've had an individual heart change, it seems like you would be very open to trying to do your part to affect systemic change.
3: And I, I really don't doubt that that's true of him. I just think that it's, a, it's amazing to once again, see how institutions and those structures, the power structures that are part of them are things that we sometimes aren't even capable of seeing without other people bringing them to us.
1: Well, and one of the lines that I hear not infrequently is, why, why should he suffer for something that happened 17 Years ago, why drag his name through the dirt now? This was a long time ago. Why should his life be ruined over something that happened and maybe didn't even happen? Seventeen years ago, we never will never know. And so, let's just move on. What would we say to that? What would you say to someone who's like really sympathetic to where to the admittedly difficult and shameful position that he is now in, given the variety? Report bringing the story to light a couple weeks ago.
4: First of all, I've heard people say, "Well, you know, this is another ploy, you know, to bring you know another black man down. This is white supremacy, and and, and whatnot." For me, the the attention on this incident—it's not surprising. I mean, the birth of a nation. Well, it is shocking in one sense, right? Um, that we didn't we didn't know about it, but. I mean, I'm talking as far as the intention goes. Birth of a Nation, it's been making waves in Hollywood. And Alyssa said, you know, there's a lot of Oscar buzz around the movie. So of course the attention that that movie is getting correlates to the attention that Nate is getting. And this is his directorial debut. So that's, to me, it's not surprising, you know, that now you know, people want to know more about him. And then it's like, oh, the skeletons are in this Well, they, they were, I guess this has always been in his Wikipedia page, actually. But now it's just coming, you know, yep. uh, to the surface and to the light to say to just say, oh, white supremacy, you know, um, is the plan, you know, to to bring him down. I think that cheapens the reality of the very real and present danger and oppression that white supremacy actually does cause in the lives of African-Americans and, and other minorities, you know, and so I'm not willing go down that path there there's legitimate scrutiny here because you know this is a very critically acclaimed or it will be a critically acclaimed film you know and it's garnering so much attention so there's that aspect and then there are the the a lot i've been seeing a lot of christians actually say well well why should he own something that he says he did not do and he believes that he's innocent of and the court has rendered him you know not guilty but i think a lot of christians are calling for cheap grace uh which Mm -hmm. is grace without truth uh, which is Unacceptable. You don't receive salvation unless you confess sin, confess these truths, live in the light, in the reality, you know, that, that you, apart from Christ, cannot do anything, that there is no salvation for you, that you deserve wrath apart from him. And so I, I think that's a lot of what I'm saying. It's under the blood. It's covered. And yes, it is. You know, but there are consequences for our sins, for our decisions. And I think part of that consequence for Nate is having to answer you know these legitimate questions, these legitimate concerns about his past, and we're children of the light. When it, when we really believe that this is under the blood, he should, in the power of the gospel, have been able to get in front of this and expose the dark deeds, as Ephesians calls us to do, himself and, and his own culpability in this. You know because they even harassed this girl after the incident. So there's a there's a lot of trauma that that this woman incurred. You know, so it it just ratchets up the level because he's a Christian and he's a Bible-believing Christian. So I'm holding you to the standard of the word here, you know, not to condemn at all, not at all, but to say, hey man, own this and take the lead here.
0: This episode is brought to you by Church Law & Tax. Church Law & Tax understands the realities of church work helping thousands of churches stay informed and get equipped with comprehensive resources on legal, tax, financial, and risk management matters. Do you have a question on housing allowance? Need information on selecting church insurance? Looking for insights on what is or isn't unrelated business income? Or how about some guidance on how to properly receive charitable contributions? churchlawandtax.com equips you for success with access to the most respected and knowledgeable attorneys, accountants, financial advisors, and risk managers guiding churches today. Get the practical information and timely coverage you need to keep your church up to date and lead your ministry with confidence. Join churchlawandtax.com today.
1: it makes me think about the interview that you Alyssa did with Nate a couple of weeks ago and how different i think we would feel internally at ct if somehow these accusations or the rape trial and case even though it led to an acquittal were just addressed plainly in some even by his publicist like i think we feel like it was hidden or and how much it maybe could have Spoken to the level of repentance or heart change that Nate Parker has experienced if if he can just acknowledge, regardless of what happened in a court of law, something that was happening there was not right you know there's he, as he said there's morality, he was involved in something that was immoral. This was presumably before he accepted Jesus or you know called himself a Christian as Christians we're very comfortable with this idea that. You, you screwed up majorly and your actions had major unfortunate and painful consequences for other people and you are changed. There's, we're comfortable with that narrative. So why not embrace it publicly? And I
3: do think one, pe- one reason people don't embrace it publicly is because the narrative around a lot of these sorts of cases that have come to light, especially in Hollywood, has been that people never really change. But that's something that I just don't believe is true. I think I believe as a Christian that Christ can change us um, yeah. in huge, huge ways. So I don't think that's necessarily the predominant narrative, but it is something that we're, we're all equipped to think about and see how that works in people's lives.
2: Obviously, change implies that there was like stage A that you were at and then you moved to stage B. But if there's no acknowledgement of exactly what stage A was, how can we believe that you're in stage B? That requires some sort of transparency about how things were and how they're different now or how you are in the process of moving into that transition. And to the extent that Nate Parker does not acknowledge who exactly he was at that stage. And again, is not transparent about why there was this harassment of this woman on the campus and why they wouldn't let this go. Because there are other things, again, that may not be stuff that you could actually go to court about, um, but were surely unkind and mean and attempts to bully someone. And then explain how he is not that person or how he grew from, from being someone who was capable of inciting fear into women on the campus. It's just difficult, I think. To actually say like, yes, I want to go ahead and support your art. Um, or yes, I want to support your project, especially if your project is something that's going to speak out against another social evil. It it, it raises just weird questions about you being complicit in another evil. Um, and I, I also just really wonder, like, I, I think you guys made great points about restitution and the need for that. And it definitely seems like we've almost caught Nate Parker mid-story. If I was like looking at an arc, I would imagine that this arc would somehow have led him to to first have learned um, about the suicide of this woman who made the allegations um, and then to have somehow meaningfully processed in a way what the impact that he had on her life, again, regardless of to the extent that he disputes it, but the fact that he apparently is processing it, that information around the same time that we are processing that information. We're not able to see how that actually caused him pain on the result of what he's done, not just career inconvenienced him, if that
1: makes sense. One hopes that the news of her suicide would be painful. Not that we know that this is there's a direct causal link between what happened in nineteen ninety nine and her suicide in two thousand twelve, but this is a person whose life you had a major effect on. It wasn't positive. Your story is inherently tied up with hers. I imagine that it has been painful. It's I think the question is how much do we expect him to process that publicly, given that he's a public figure.
3: The story kind of came out and and became public on a Friday. And then I believe that Monday, the story that she had actually committed suicide came out after that. So it all kind of happened in, in a domino effect, which probably says that there was some, some sort of court-related thing that he wasn't in contact with her. But even then, um, the other kind of icky part of this is it keeps getting framed around Oscar season, which, you know, we're talking about, like, a woman's life here.
1: Yeah, that the that the, the emphasis seems to be on how will this cost Nate Parker. Right. At the same time, it sounds like this is an in- incredibly important story.
4: And I think it's important to remember, and, and this is the power of the gospel is that you are more, we are more than our worst sins, um, and and that gives us the freedom and the liberty to speak to these things in a way that really points to Christ. And I think that, to me, is a missed opportunity um, there. But you know, when we talk about separating the art from the artist, you know, I, I personally, you know, as an African American woman, you know, the, the intersectionality here mm-hmm. is just off the Richter scale. I'm black. I'm a woman. He's a black man. And there's this there's even intra-racial conversations about patriarchy that has to happen, you know, and are happening um, as a result, you know, where it's like we're we're almost expected to cut ourselves as black women. We're expected to cut ourselves in half and put our gender aside, you know, and ride for the race because this film is so important because this is, you know, you know, X, Y and Z. Or, well, there's other women. You know, they're involved. What about the other stars? What about the women behind the scenes? You know, and so again, I'm a- I'm being asked to divide myself. I can't cut myself. You know, in half in order to se- separate my gender. Am I raised? No more than I can separate the artist from the art. For me, the two, they do go hand in hand. I mean, the the art arose from within the artist out of his own passions, life circumstances, and his own interpretation of the events. I understand correctly. I believe he grew up in Virginia, not very far from where the revolt took place. So this was something That's that right. was very, something that he embraced, you know, and and he, he, he's a, Nat Turner is a hero for him in a, in a sense. Um, and because it centers on the rape of his wife, it's just difficult. Like, it's hard for me to consume Co- the Cosby show now. I, I don't listen to R. Kelly. You know, uh, I struggle to listen to Michael Jackson now because of what? has come out and what they've done. And so I think it's a false choice when people, and and an impossible one, when people are asking you, well, what about this? I mean, what about the women? What about, which I understand, you know, but what about the other women and men who are on the set and were a part of this film and didn't know about it and feel in some ways that they were bamboozled? Maybe they wouldn't have joined in on this project had they known.
1: Or the response is, oh, but his movies are so good. Like, In response to Woody Allen, like, oh, but he's such a genius and he his work is so significant in film history. And you can't separate the
2: art and the artist and the life that went into that, which I think is a very fair point is that you have to have the hold all of that intention and that realize that someone can be capable of all of those things.
3: No. And at the same time, we still have to respond to the work of art. As a work of Mm -hmm. art, people just don't have a good sense of how to talk about works of art with one another anymore. And the Mm -hmm. idea that we might watch this not as a a way of voting for it or supporting Mm -hmm. it in some way necessarily, but as a way of provoking a conversation that's even bigger than the story the film thought it was it was telling, you know, might be an important one for churches to think about. But again, I understand, you know, if you're concerned about where the money is going, that there's a big question. And that's an important one.
1: Well, I think we're going to wrap up there. This has been the conversation I've wanted to have for the past week. So I really appreciate you, Akemini and Alyssa, helping us get at some deep wisdom regarding this story. Of course, we invite our listeners to to weigh in with their own thoughts and perspectives, you can do that on Twitter at ctpodcasts or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcasts. Now it's time for the segment of the show that feels a little bit like emotional whiplash that we call precious moments. And it's the time when we go around and name one person, place, thing, pet, song that is giving us joy this week. And you here can also share where our listeners can follow you online. So if you have a website or a Twitter, feel free to mention those. So we will start with you, Akemeni.
4: This morning, I got to meet up with one of my social media friends. Her name is um, Paige Britton, and she is a great Bible teacher. And she lives in in Pennsylvania as well. She came to Philly, and we got to meet for the first time. Her and her daughter came, and we went to this um, exhibit at the Philadelphia Museum of Art called Creative Africa. And so it shows all these um, African, what we would call Ankara, textiles and prints and bold prints that I grew up with being, um, first generation Nigerian American. Um, I grew up, you know, with these prints and so it was awesome to see, you know, that display and be like, my grandma had that print and I have that one. And so that was awesome. It just shows how much, how important representation you know matters which is a big thing as you guys know That I'm, I'm big on that and so it's really cool to see how it's like becoming cool to be like African that was not my reality as a kid growing <laughs> up so that is awesome in and of itself but it was so even better than that it was awesome to meet um, Paige She's a good friend of mine and we got to meet for the first time today and I was really blessed by that so that's my precious moment it's awesome where can
1: our listeners find you
4: you can find me on uh, Twitter and And my Twitter handle is at Sista underscore theology, S-I-S-T-A underscore theology. T H E O L O G Y. Follow at your own risk. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a website and it is uh, systematictheology.com. S I S T A M A T I C T H E O L O G Y.com. So you can catch all of my, my interviews, my, my writing, uh, my talks are on that website as well. So
1: awesome. Thanks. Yes. What Thank is you. your precious moment, Alyssa?
3: I uh, school started today here at the King's College, where I teach, and I just had six full hours of class right before recording this, um, Wow! <laughs> but, um, you know, some some years you walk into your classroom and you can already tell that it's not going to be a lively class, or they're not going to be asking a lot of questions or whatever, but this semester is not going to be that way, and I was genuinely pleased to walk into the classroom for both classes today. So that is a good What are you thing. teaching, Alyssa? Uh, in the mornings, I teach a class called Principles of Cultural Interpretation, which is a basic introduction to cultural anthropology and culture theory. Um, and then in the afternoons, I teach a creative writing workshop in cultural criticism, which is a senior level learn to write reviews kind of a workshop. And then I'm supervising a whole mess of senior theses which is always fun. (laughs) And you can usually find me on Twitter like pretty much any time of day or night. Um, And my (laughs) Twitter handle is Alyssa Marie, A-L-I-S-S-A-M-A-R-I-E.
2: Morgan. So right now I'm reading a book called The Extra 2%, how Wall Street Strategies took a major league baseball team from worst to first. The author of it is Jonah Carey, who is a former baseball writer for Grantland, And he does these things called pitch talks, which is essentially where he brings together a bunch of different people that are in a particular market. So... In the case of this, like the Bay Area market to cover the Giants and the A's. So he's doing one in San Francisco next week and I'm going to it and I'm meeting a bunch of the beat writers who I've like wanted to meet for a while and some of the announcers and the general manager will be there. This is for the baseball team, the Giants, not the football team, everyone. We know, we know you like baseball. It's so great. I'm just really excited. Some of these people have like tweeted at for forever about baseball related things and they will all be available to chat. And so that will be just fun to be with my tribe.
1: I am on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Well, this week, my precious moment has to be a shout out to melatonin. I have been (laughs) struggling. To adjust back to Central Standard Time, some of our listeners know that I was in Indonesia for two and a half weeks for the Lausanne Younger Leaders Gathering and then for another week of vacation, and it was wonderful, but the jet lag is real, and it is pretty brutal coming back. So I have finally started to feel more like myself in the past couple days, and Uh I have melatonin to thank for that. So you can follow me on Twitter at... Caitlin Beatty. And I actually finally have a website going up that points to some of my writing and book stuff and this podcast, actually. And that will be dot It should be up by the end of this week so. That is a wrap. Thank you so much to Akemeny and Alyssa for joining us this week. And thank you to our listeners for engaging another episode of Quick to Listen. This show is produced by Richard Clark and Cray Allred. And as usual, we want to give a special thanks to Kate Shalnett. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. And if you like the show, do make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us a lot. Thanks again and see you next week.